we got a few, we have a few really big challenges. Do, do you know that? It's like we've got some serious problems as children of God. And um, I'm not talking about the things that we're trusting Him for, because we can find breakthrough for those things as devil's beautiful testimony and what we witnessed a bit this morning. But I'm talking about like a, a really, like a, a greater, we have this greater problem and uh, the, that it's, it's pretty much this, that we, can't, we cannot fix ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. Remember when we started in this year in Easter, we looked at uh, Nicodemus's account with Jesus in the Bible on Easter Sunday outside. And you realize that you can be a learned scholar. Uh, you can be any type of person in society. You've got the same problem. If the president of nations to the lowest person in society has got the same common problem, cannot fix their brokenness, their aching soul. Only person who can fix that is God the Father and the creator of everyone through his son, Jesus Christ. So I want to say that up front. We have the same problem. It's, it's a common problem. And the second issue is that we, are, we live in a constant collision course. Even those of us that are walking with Jesus, we still live in this life on earth as we're being made perfect. We still live in a, a collision course. And that collision course is this. God is calling us to live His way. And we still, in our flesh, a tendency to collide with him because we have things called preferences which are rooted in our flesh things that we like things that the way we like to do things and we collide with the master he says it's my way or the highway and you can think no but he's God so it's his way and our stuff needs to get out the way that's part of maturing growing up and it's part of surrendering it's part of recalibrating and repenting which is Turning away constantly as we grow and mature is not only a once-off moment when we get saved that we turn from our old life, but we grow up living this way. And less and less, hopefully, as we mature, or we will as we mature, stop colliding so much with our perfect Father. Okay, are you guys with me? Okay, so I wanted to share a passage which was actually very precious to Taryn and I. It is what we asked to have read at our wedding. And maybe we can throw that up if Pupe's got Romans 5. Yeah, I think I did send it. Romans 5, 6 to 11. Thanks, bud. Yeah. So as we read this portion of Scripture, I want to remind the main reason we read the Bible, the main thing we want to take out of God's Word is to learn what He's like. Not so much it's a mirror to show me what I'm like, although we do see a lot of that. The main point of reading Scripture, the, the number one point, is to actually find out who God is, the author of the Bible. So again, it's that information, impartation. Thing. You can read the Bible for lots of good... I know a lot of people who've read a lot of Scripture, and guess what? They actually don't know the author. Do you guys know some people? There? I know some people who probably, information-wise, they might know more than me, and I lead a church. I know some people who could probably sit me down and on an information level try and put me in some corners through information. But if I look at it and say, but do you know the author? There would be a no, and I would have a yes. And that's a beautiful place to be because this, this is to point us to God. So I want to say that as a framework and then say this was quite odd 
to have it as a wedding scripture or a wedding portion of text for our wedding. But the reason we did was that um, when we got married 2006, Taryn and I had been serving the Lord for like a couple of years only. Yeah, it was just a couple of years. And uh, all we wanted our wedding to be was a witness to our family and friends of who the author of Scripture is. We wanted to show him off, and that was it. So I want to read this and, uh, and then touch on how, how he can fix our great problem in life. Okay, let's go. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, the same version, yeah. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Okay? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from his wrath or God's wrath through him? Okay. We can go 10. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? And then not only is this so, but we, excuse me, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now I just want to go through verse by verse, because we can read that quite quickly. It's well known. But I remember as a young believer, and it's, it's imprinted on me again just this week some, uh, uh, in my, about my 18th year of serving the Lord. It, when we were powerless, that's when our Lord came through for us. He's a God of power. We need to see as we read this who he is. He is a God of power. He lacks no power. He saved us through his power, through his wisdom, and he chose to do it when we were at our absolute lowest, when we were stripped and bare and powerless, and actually it goes on to say when we were were enemies of him, he reached into our life at that point so that we couldn't boast. It goes on further to say that none of us can, can boast. He doesn't want us to ever be in a position to say I had something to do with my rescuing because the problem we have is so deep There is nothing that we can do outside of him to fix our situation. Okay. We're saved by his grace. And what is God's grace? When his book's written on grace. But ultimately, one of my two, one or two key uh, explanations is that grace is from God and it's his ability to us to say no to ungodliness and yes to holiness and righteous living. So his grace is a power given to us to say no to temptation. So he's given us all the tools, in another way of saying it, to live a life that is actually impossible to live. (laughs) But if we recognize that it's his power, that even when Neil and Taryn were stark enemies of him, he reached in, called us out of the world like you guys experienced different stages and ages of your life. And we could not boast because he did it, chose us. And his grace was extended to us, and it became power to begin a life of repentance and turning away, saying no. Difficult in the beginning. Do you know what? Still difficult now, isn't it? 
because in our strength we cannot. We have to tap into his power. See, he died. Listen to this in verse 8. Verse 9, sorry. We've been justified by his, since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, now that we've been reconciled, now that we're not enemies, how much more will we be saved through the life of Jesus? And so if you see the Father's mercy in sending his only son, imagine that sacrifice. While you and I were still enemies, he still, at that point, gave up his only son. It's like parents here giving up their, their children, or their only child, their only for an enemy, let alone someone who's already been brought into that person's family. Would you, would you sacrifice your child for an enemy? So how much more would he save us through his son? And sometimes we doubt the salvation power of our Lord. We doubt that end day. We doubt, you know, our walk. Remember, you were once an enemy. If you know, if you know Jesus in this room today, you were once an enemy, now you're not. Which means even more so now that we've been reconciled, can we trust that through Jesus we will be saved? Isn't that like, it's stupendous actually. We, we, we are called to people that really have no doubt in his power. And he will keep us to the end. You know, I ask some people to pray into this message today. And the scripture that came up was Hebrews 12, in the beginning of Hebrews 12. And it's all about running our race marathon to the end. It's all about enduring and being steadfast until that day. And the beautiful thing about that is God wants us to live in a place that we look forward to that day. And the enemy of God wants to come and undercut that steadfast strength and that um, unshakable faith that God is for me, that he's with me, and that through his son Jesus he is saving me. He has saved me for that day. And each day, he's, saved, he's in the business of saving us, of keeping us, of securing us, and um, giving us a steadfastness, which is a surety and a consistency and a growing maturity until the end of that race. And in that portion of Scripture in Hebrews, I'm just going to quickly get it. Um, actually, I've got it here. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3. I'm just going to jump there. And the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore... And the therefore comes after chapter 11, which is all about the greats of the faith. It's mentioned in the prayer time this morning. All these amazing people of God who are from Abraham, whose faith was credited to him by God. When Abraham believed, even though everything was counted against him, the age of him and his wife, like because he believed and had faith, God counted him as an absolute righteous man. And it goes on to all the other greats. And so after that portion of Scripture where... God shows us the people, the men and women of faith, like model your lives after those who believed me. He says, therefore, since we, and that speaks to us as the people of God, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those guys in you know, Hebrews 11 and all the others that have gone on to be with the Lord in eternity, since we're surrounded by that cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders that hinders us, 
and the sin that so easily entangles. So get the picture of we get hindered and entangled on this journey where already he's given us the power to live this beautiful life of maturing faith. So the writer says, throw it off. And let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Isn't that beautiful? Imagine, not imagine, actually maybe, maybe imagine it. Imagine a race that's marked out for us. That means that the journey has been marked out by our, by our Lord. He knows if a race has been marked out for you, Someone has gone ahead and has kind of designed the course, right? We're in that race. We're in that marathon to the end. Our Lord has gone ahead of us. He's marked out the way. He knows what's ahead of us. He knows what's coming. He knows the distance. He knows the pain. He knows the struggle. He knows the hindrances along the way. As you're trying to complete this marathon, there's things that don't come and try and entangle you now. But he's marked out the race. I find that such a beautiful detail because it means, guess what? He knows. He's seen it. He's been there. He's designed it. He's designed it. He's designed life. He knows what we face. And still, he gives us the ability in verse 2, as we fix our eyes on his son, Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Now, for the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, his father. And so we have Jesus who went on his race, <laughs> his journey, and showed us a way and went ahead of us. And for the joy set before him, I want to say, for us to reach the end of well, any marathon on this life, like a running race marathon, the joy is maybe a medal, maybe a cup of Coca-Cola at the end of the race, and some very sore legs for the next week, depending on how far you've run. But there's a joy about seeing my family at the end of a race, getting a medal, but the, the joy that we have at the end of our race is an eternal joy. No one can steal for us. You know, we experience joy in this life. It's not perfect joy. We get, you know, we, 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 we're still living in a corrupted world. Yet joy is, it brings us through our battles. Now, on that day, that joy is going to be perfect. The end of our race, that joy is going to carry us into eternity. It's never going to leave us. We're going to live in in a constant, perfect joy. We need to find that joy for our lives now and for the race now. Amen? And Hebrews 12, verse 3, Now consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners. Consider it so that you and I will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen? He's for us. And he's with us. And he's gone ahead of us. And he knows all things. He knows our struggles. He knows our temporary pain. He knows the sin that so easily entangles. He knows exactly where the enemy likes to come at us, to hinder us, to take us off path. God sees it all. We're coming into him and his power. That's where our victory lies. And I wanted, we know the problem now. I want to get to the, the solution. So what Jesus did on the cross released power and grace into us who believe. And you know, we believed once in our life. 2003 was the moment I believed. Taryn with me and my good friend Wesley, you've heard the story. At that moment when we believed, God's grace and power came into us. 
And we went under the waters of baptism a couple of weeks later, and we were filled with the Holy Spirit in a meeting. God's power came into us who believed, and we believed in that moment. But believed is a going on believing. We need to, we need to be people that go on believing until the end. Those are the ones who are saved. When salvation comes in all its perfection, Peter writes, when Jesus comes, when the King comes, we'll be crowned with our salvation. We have it all already, and we have it now on the journey as we remain in Christ, as we abide in Him, as we stay in Him, as we grow up in our salvation. And His power keeps us growing in the salvation. When we come to that point at the end of the race, we're going to see Him in all His glory. Now, I wanted to tell a, a, a very basic story. The parents will know what it feels like sometimes when you're in this collision course. Have you ever pushed a pram up a hill? It's, it's hard enough with a big lump in the pram. But uh, if anyone knows Kloof Street, uh, Cape Town, we lived at the top, and uh, my mom and I had pushed Ruben, who was our first child. He was a little baby. We pushed him down Kloof Street to where the check. The checkers shoppers. It's quite a steep hill. So we turned around to come home, and you've got steep pavements and steep turns, and like it's not, it's not smooth all the way. And I remember I, I was battling to push this pram. It was a struggle. It felt like I was in a rut, and I, and I, and I didn't have freedom to move. It was an absolute nightmare. And we got home, and I realized, you know the front wheels? There's like two of them, and they swivel. You know, they turn around like, like a trolley wheel, I think. I had locked, I had the brakes on. Not, not the brakes, but the locks. So those two wheels could only go straight. Yeah. Yeah. The moms know, the dads know. <laughs> See, the thing, I, was, I could only go one way. So there were times I was lifting the pram up, and it was a nightmare. And for some reason, that picture kept coming into my mind yesterday, and I realized when we outside of God's power, and when we're trying to live when we're being entangled by sin and we're not living in Jesus and in his power, life is like a rut, man. You can't break out of sin. You can't break out of anything. Whatever you try, you're going in one lane or one crevice, and you cannot get out. And that's how I was before I was saved. I'm sure many of you can remember. You try as much as you like. You can read as many self-help books. You can make as many vows and commitments, and you can find people to fill your space Maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I'm going to be better now. I've found, and you, you, I could not get out of the rats of life. It was as if the, those locks were on and I could only go in one direction. Could not break out. And then the power of God came into my life. I met him. He broke in. And I, I was his enemy no longer. I was reconciled to the Father through the power of his son and what his son did on the cross was he endured for me, endured the pain for me, went to the cross for me and for you. But when we get the revelation that he, he would have done it, if it was just me or you, think about it. What a God. What a God we serve. And I hope that you remember that even in your later years of, of the journey, that he went to the cross for, for your sin, that we wouldn't have to go through life with the locks on or with the brakes on and stay in this groove that you just cannot break out of. And he gives the freedom. His grace is the power 
for us to say no. So in other words, we were prisoners. And that's what I want to get to in, in closing. Is that sometimes we forget. And I don't know where everyone here is at this morning, today. But here's the thing. Every single one of us were imprisoned and chained before putting our faith in Jesus. We were imprisoned. It was like a pram that cannot move no matter how much you try. You're stuck in the gutter. You're stuck on the pavement. You cannot. And it's actually, it's, we, need to, we need to just pause for a moment and remember that his grace is the freedom to say no. And oftentimes we get lied to. We think saying no to ungodliness puts limits on us. You know, you come into the kingdom and now I've got all these rules I need to try and live up to. And we forget that actually you're free now. And you've got the power of grace that is, to, that is the power for you to say no to ungodliness and temptation. So you actually live in freedom. But before grace, you think you're free. How many of us thought we were free when we were not saved in the world? You think you're free, but actually, the lie has covered our eyes, and we're bound in chains, we're bound in prison, and we actually have no way out. We don't even know what we're doing. We're just stuck in our old rut and our old way of life, and it displeased God, and it, it offended Him. It offended Him so much that the only way to help you and I was to put all His anger and punishment on His Son on the cross. And if we don't see that properly, if we don't see what Jesus did properly, we make a mockery of the cross, the Bible says. We make nothing of it. I mean, it's the most powerful thing to happen in history. It's the most powerful thing, powerful events that's ever happened in his history. History recognizes it, but we get to experience it as the people of God who live from the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus. So I hope that we see that this morning. That we see that... Um, what Jesus did for us, and we put our faith in him. We saw that his death and resurrection from the cross enabled his grace to flow into those of us who believe and put our faith in him. And when his grace flows into us, we're able to say no. When the sin comes to hinder us and entangle us, we go, no. I have the power when I'm in you, Jesus, to say no to whatever offends you. Thank you for your grace. Because grace not only shows us what's offensive, but it empowers us to go, no, I can walk the other way. It's called repenting. I can turn away from that. And it's the most glorious, freeing, beautiful, wide open space to live. Just felt to say, like, let's be aware that we don't get duped into the enemy's lies, which is to make us think there's a whole lot of things we can't do now as we serve the Lord. It feels limiting. In fact, it was limiting being a prisoner to sin. It was limiting to be bound by the shackles that the enemy throws around us. And some of us, even as we walk with the Lord, we can still be in chains and shackles. He's still in the process of freeing us and helping us by His grace to see, oh, I've got everything in front of me. I've got the whole world in front of me to run for my King and freedom in His grace and in His power. And I felt like today... He wants some of us to step in again to grace and to receive like an impartation of his power and grace to free us from anything that may be hindering 
any shackles, any area of your life as I'm speaking, if you feel like a trolley with a wonky wheel or a pram with a locked wheel and you just can't seem to get out of a, a rut, it could be a pattern or way of thinking, it could be uh, an action in your life, it could be an area of sin, it could be a fence in your heart, it could be a, a lack of trust, it could be you struggling with God's household, you could be struggling with the family of God, the church, people might be a hindrance to you. God wants to free you of that stuff. And he wants to do it in a moment of prayer and impartation of your life. Okay? So we begin to just ask him to show you in your heart if there's anything that um, you need to bring to him today. It just allows grace to flow over that. And then I want to read, before we go into that, I'll remind you of those points. But I want to read something that is really, really beautiful written by a preacher and a man of God who was once, I think in the 1800s or the early 1900s, but A.W. Tozer. Many of you know him. He, writes, he wrote some incredible stuff. And uh, this is what he said about God's people, the, the church. He said about the true church, there are some elements for us that uh, are very easy to possess. I'm like, yeah, I want to read on. What are those, Mr. Tozer? And he said, first of all, there's four. A company of believers, a group of believers make up the true church. Okay, that's us. Then the Lord must be there. Okay, the leader of the church. And the Spirit of God must be there. Important. And the Word of the living God must be there. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the company of believers. That is the true church. That's what we have experienced much of that this morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you to every one of you. Because together, we would not be the true church. We have made something of this morning beautiful to our Lord. Okay? Us together. Then he says, the church of Jesus Christ will produce a spiritual, cult a spiritual culture, excuse me, all, on its, all of its own. So in other words, there'll be no other culture quite like the people of God, the church. Every culture that's been created that we've known in this world has been created by man. And we celebrate some beautiful cultures. Let's be honest, we all come out of some sort of culture. We've got quite a diverse cultural group here. And it's beautiful. Some celebrate our cultures more than others because there was a heritage and a richness. Or maybe some families just didn't celebrate much. But you know, all of those are man-made. And what Toza said is that the church will produce a spiritual culture like nothing on earth will ever come close to. We get to live in that, produce that, multiply that, and if you become part of our household and join Joshua Generation Church, well, part of our culture is to be a blueprint church. It's the promise that God gave this household, is to be a, a blueprint church that would take the plans of what the ancient church was meant to look like from the early church being birthed that we see in our Bibles. And take that blueprint to the world and begin to reproduce and re, um, restore what had been lost of the ancient plans of what God's household was meant to look like. That's setting culture throughout the nations. Setting a spiritual culture of God's church throughout the nations. And then Toza went to say this. God is getting his people ready for another world, eternity. And he uses the local church, us, as a workshop in which to carry on his blessed work. And then finally he says, that Christian, 
that believer, you and I, is a happy believer, a happy one that is found in a company of other true believers in whose heavenly fellowship he can live and love and labor with. You want to find meaning and fulfillment, happiness, joy in life? Find the people of God. Find a church. Find those who know their heavenly dwelling is where they're headed. And then labor and love with those people for the glory of God. Amen? Come, let's stand together. I'll end with that quote from Toza. If you want it, I'll share it. <laughs> I, I felt to ask two questions. Maybe we can just close our eyes and just settle our hearts. Let the Lord speak to each of us personally this morning, individually. And maybe let me start, actually, with anyone who this morning may not believe in the Lord Jesus. You may not have him as Lord of your life. You may have heard about this King Jesus. You may have heard about God, his church, the Bible, his word. And this morning you've come in here and you're a little bit insecure. Realize that every single one of us have got the same problem. We're enemies of God outside of faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a big problem. But that can be dealt with in a moment. Maybe you've also wandered away from personal walk with Jesus Christ. And you can come back to him in a moment. It's very easy. You've heard that he's real. You realize that you've never been hidden inside his son, Jesus Christ. You've not known him. You've not put your faith in him ever. Or it was a long time ago and you've wandered. Either or. You recognize that his, his grace is the power to save. The power to bring you from a life of being stuck in a rut stuck in sin, and his power to bring you out of a place of feeling like you're in prison and you can't. And today you realize you want that grace to cover you, set you free, and empower you to follow him wholeheartedly. I want to ask you, that's a witness in your heart, you'll know. Come back to him today. I would love to pray with you. If you've never come to him ever in your life in this way, if you've never put faith in Jesus, if you've never walked in his grace and power, you recognize he's got freedom for you today. Why don't you give me a wave or just lift your hand so I can see it and then love to pray with you afterwards. And also just give me a wave if there's a coming back to the Lord Jesus today that you realize you need to come back to his grace and ask for his grace to enter back into your life. All you need to do is pray and ask him back in. Believe in faith. Turn away from your life. And put your faith back into his hands. Amen? Okay. Okay. And then for the rest of us, I want to ask where your, where your hearts lie today. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment. Being devoted to the things that matter to God, the things that matter to his son, being devoted to the things of his household and his people group and the spiritual culture that matters most in this world, this, this culture, this family, this church, this people group. And often our devotion can waver. Toza says that uh, it's such a beautiful culture 
that nothing else on the face of the earth should be as dear or as precious to you and I. Nothing should be as dear as a loyalty and devotion to the household of God, to the people of God. And a love and devotion to his people should take the highest place in our lives. And I believe that. I've given my life to that. Seen it by revelation from the Lord. There's nothing else comes close. And so just to every believer, just if there's a witness that he's calling you to a life of devotion to his people, his household, and setting a culture, a spiritual culture, that's called his church, impacting the nations of the world. Just, I'd love to just pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to respond or come and do anything silly today, but maybe just as a sign of, and the Lord is speaking to my heart this morning, and I just pray that, if, oh, I pray, why don't you just put your hand over your heart, just to signify, like, Lord, this place that you live, that you, that you want, is, is my heart, my everything, my, you know, the engine room of my life. My emotions sit here, spirit, my spirit sits here, and in this, by putting your hand on your heart, it's just an outward sign of a commitment to, to really ask the Lord to empower you and I with His grace to be able to live the way He wants us to. Because you know what, on our own, we can't do it. But with Him, oh, oh, it's just boundless and limitless what He can do. So yeah, thank you, Lord, for every response, every man and woman in this church, in this precious household, including myself, Lord. Include myself in this prayer. And I ask, Lord, that by your grace and by your power, there would be a tangible touch from heaven right now, an impartation of your grace that you so freely promise those that would put their faith and their trust in you. I say, Lord, we were once your enemies. Now we are your children. Now we are your people. And help us, Lord, to be devoted to you to be so in love with you that we cannot help devoting ourselves to your, your family and the rest of your children. So we ask for your grace, Lord. You say in our times of need, come and find your grace. In other words, it's freely available always, and it never runs out, never runs dry, your grace. Help us to see that this morning and to be bold as we ask you for grace. To be those that don't come for little handouts of grace, but those children who run expecting with arms wide open, Lord, fill me with your boundless grace and power. Because I believe that is the picture, the right picture of you, Father, that we are all to have as your children. So I pray that you'd enlarge our hearts, that we can not only receive from you this morning, but go on receiving as we go on believing. Would we be those that know what it is to ask and expect? Your grace daily, Lord. I pray that in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord, more than anything in life. We love you. Amen. You're beautiful, Lord. <laughs> Amen.